Before we get started, um, we've got some news for the Hoop Collective. For the first time ever, we're excited to bring the Hoop Collective to a live audience, virtually, of course. Join us for a virtual live podcast recording on Wednesday, June 23rd at noon Eastern. That's next Wednesday. When the Hoop Collective, presented by Straight Talk Wireless, will hop on Zoom, discuss the NBA playoffs, NBA draft lottery, and so much more. It's going to be the day after the draft lottery. So while the playoffs will be still raging on, I promise you guys the whole league will be, have been changed the, day, the night before. We'll have a lot to break down. Now, registration is required and space is limited, but it's free to join. So you head over to bit.ly slash hoop collective 623. That's bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash hoop collective 623, the date. It's important to note that that's all lowercase. So again, that's bit.ly slash hoop collective 623. We really look forward to having you join us Wednesday, June 23rd, noon east. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Friday. Friday. Oh my God. It's already been a long day. On Tuesday what, morning. What a week. <laughs> what a week. <laughs> Tuesday morning. It's. Um, it's after 1 a.m. on the East Coast. We stay up late for you guys. Uh, watch the games tonight. Um, and joining me from the Eastern Time Zone for a change is Nick Friedel, who's joining us from Orlando, Florida tonight. Not his normal home in San Francisco. B, every time I land now in Orlando, I'm thinking, how far away are my poor magic from being relevant again? And the answer at the moment is a long, long way. And it's... It's pretty depressing. Kevin Pelton joining us from Seattle. Kevin, uh, you probably didn't know this, but uh, a few days ago, Nick and I attended a Dodgers game together in L.A. I did not know that. Yes. Uh, I would say the Magic are closer to being competitive than the Sonics, so you got that going for you. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's right. That is unfortunately true for you, uh, Kevin. So – We've got uh, guys. We've got uh, three. We've got three two-two series here, and um, I, I, I've I've got some friends who watch, you know, a lot of games, and they've been complaining to me about how the you know so many games have been lopsided, uh, especially in this round. And I mean, I agree. Uh, you know, uh, we we've had a couple of good games, but you know, it hasn't been the, you know, the most amazing competitive basketball. Although the series are tight, but here we have three tight series. And uh, factors uh, going on in all of them that, you know, unfortunately, a lot of injuries um, that make you scratch your head about how it's going to go. Let's talk first about the game that we just ended up watching here, which was the Clippers um, beating Utah by, I think the final score was by 14. Um, They continue to be one of the more confounding teams. I just... I have a very difficult time. I've uh, issued an edict that I don't think anybody should place a bet on a Clipper game because I think it's so difficult to know how this team's going to play. Um, Pelton, I heard that you felt that we've been a little too critical on this podcast of the Clippers. And 
I don't know. Maybe I've been desensitized a little bit um, because, again, when I see them play well, especially as I saw them play early in this game, I have difficulty understanding why they keep, why they have not already advanced to the to the conference finals. So tell me why you think um, we've been too hard on them, and also, you know. <laughs> whatever predictive abilities you have is going to happen. I, I, I wish you luck in describing that one. Well, yeah. I mean, we did a five on five, I think going into game six of Clippers Mavericks. And, and the last question was, what's your prediction for game seven, assuming the Clippers do win? And I said, you know, I've given up on predicting the Clippers. And I think people thought that I was joking about that. And even though I did go ahead and make a pick for the series, although then I contradicted myself so i i definitely played both sides it was a move you'd be proud of like that was legitimate like who knows what to make of this clippers team at this point Uh, i i don't think in general you've necessarily been too hard but i did think last friday's podcast was a little bit too down after they went down to nothing in the series the game two was incredible shot making by the utah jazz if you go by the second spectrum metrics that we like to cite on this pod that account for the quality of the players the two best shooting performances in the entire playoffs have been game two by Dallas against the Clippers and then game two by Utah against the Clippers. And then bizarrely enough, the third best was the Clippers in game three as they started to turn things around. So I, I think we've seen in the last two games play out, you know, kind of the reasons I thought the Clippers were not out of this series in terms of they've still got some matchup advantages. They've forced Utah to play a lot of one-on-one basketball, particularly the first half tonight. As I noted on Twitter, they had four assists in, you know, the first 21 minutes and change of this game that the Jazz did, which is not, you know, kind of the the beautiful basketball people think of. And Donovan Mitchell can do a lot in that, but you know, only in the second half were they able to start to get Joe Ingles and Rudy Gobert into the game. And that's where it's it's interesting to see how that's going to go going forward because it looked like the Clippers maybe had them figured out in the first half and the Jazz adjusted and seemed to find parity in the second half. Well, it also helps when Marcus Morris hits everything in sight, which he did, right. a 22-point first half. And um, no, that happens with role players in playoff series. They tend to deliver at home, but... I mean, there have been times this, this this postseason where Marcus Morris has been complete non-factor, and then tonight he's a huge difference maker um, offensively, specifically early on as they got off to, I think it was a 17-point lead after the first quarter. Um, Nick, I I maybe I need to just take a step back. Maybe Pelton is right. Um, I've just been so... I've been so emotionally affected by this Clippers team in ways that I'm not used to because I had such high expectations for them and they crushed it. And I was, I still, to this moment, I mean, the Phoenix Suns should be sending the Clippers a bouquet of flowers or some sort of equivalent value um, uh, for allowing the bracket to break the way that it did and allow them to play Denver in the second round. Um because I'm still not over the insanity of the Clippers uh, tanking at the end. And I, I, I know that I should. I'm not even defending that I'm not over it. I'm not, I'm not saying that Clipper fans shouldn't tell me to get over it, stop being a stick in the mud. I'm sorry. Um, the Suns com- completely benefited from that and get to play the Nuggets in the second round, which we'll talk about later on. But um, 
you know, you've seen this Clipper team a lot. You're based on the West Coast. What, what should I do? What, what am I supposed to do at this point with this team? Well, I feel the same way you did and do because I was right there with you last year. The Clippers are going to do it. They've got Kawhi and Paul George. This team is ready-made to win the title, and then they just melted down completely. And so anytime I feel myself getting optimistic about, all right, maybe they finally did turn it around, I'm still stuck in last year. It's like the 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 breakup that you're reliving, going, ah, you know, maybe maybe it's different this time around. <laughs> and, then, and then, nope, <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, so, I, as far as the Clippers go, I always want to believe that Kawhi is is that great that he could go into Utah in in Game Five and and just dominate. And guys, once he threw down that dunk uh, earlier tonight. And and everybody was looking around like, oh, oh it's it's really Kawhi. Uh, I think that uh, you, you've got to feel like the Clippers like their chances. But, I, you know, we haven't mentioned Mike Conley yet. And if Mike yeah. Conley's on the floor and he's healthy, I'm still taking Utah. And as a basketball fan, having watched the Suns and having seen how unbelievable the atmosphere is when the Jazz get rolling, as strictly as a fan, I want Jazz Suns because the atmosphere in both buildings would be off the charts and the league would have a lot of fun in trying to build up that matchup and draw in people to what would be an insane atmosphere on a nightly basis. By the way, this is what's so great about our collective here. We have uh, Pelton, you know, in, in analyzing an outcome with second spectrum uh, tracking data, and we have Nick comparing the Clippers situation to to breakups. This is one of the things that I love, I love about about our collective. Um, so, the, by the way, that Kawhi dunk um, over Derek Favors, which was uh, there was a very funny moment that happened tonight. Uh, I was keeping an eye on it. Joel Embiid, who I was listening to what he would say about his horrendous performance, which we'll get to later. Um, he was in the middle of his answer about the health of his knee. And he was wa- you know, on Zoom in Atlanta. And the, apparently there was a television on in the room. And in the middle of his answer talking about his knee, he like broke into an exclamation because he saw Kawhi throw that dunk down. And I will say that people always talk about the size of Kawhi's hands when they talk about his freak uh, athletic ability. He also has extraordinarily long arms. Um, Like seriously, like uh, the man can almost touch his knees standing straight up. And so he doesn't use that power very often. It's one of the reasons why he's so terrific at those mid-range shots when he's elevating because he has such long arms that he can leverage that ball high in the air. It's a great asset to have. Um, but he can throw down dunks from distance, from a, from a distance away from the basket. And that's one of the reasons why when he does dunk, it's um, it's tremendous uh, when he does a dunk like this. It's tremendous because you don't realize that he can finish. He'll jump in the air and you're like, well, he's too far away. And then he actually is not because his arms are so freaking long. It's unbelievable. Um, but Pelton, 
I was certainly worried late in this game. I actually um, was trying to start this recording this podcast a little early once that game was such a blowout. And right after I asked you guys about starting early, Kawhi comes up limping, um, tweaking what looks like to tweak his right knee, um, which his his knee that he had the quad injury on, the quad tendon injury, is his right knee. His left knee probably, or, you know, I don't know if probably, but probably contributing to compensation for, for his right leg, which was messed up for a couple of years. He's had issues with his left knee. And so often when he gets sat down for load management, the Clippers will cite left knee issues. So it's the other knee, which I guess technically qualifies as his good knee now. But Pelton, um, uh, Kawhi after the game said that there's no big deal. I don't think I don't think he's obligated to tell the truth in that situation. Um, but the Clippers sat him down down the stretch of this game. Um, you know that's obviously a huge factor if he is somehow impacted by that strange tweak that he had. Yeah, you mentioned it right at the top. These have kind of been the playoffs defined by these injuries to key contributors on so many teams. And as Nick mentioned, we're seeing the effect of Mike Conley Sr.'s absence in this series that the Jazz are lacking a lot of the playmaking. Mike Conley Jr. Oh, yes, yes. Marcus Mike Conley Morris Jr. Sr. Yeah. Mike Conley Jr. Sorry. Didn't mean yeah. to correct you. I just was no, definitely. Uh, yeah, they're missing his playmaking, and that's part of why they've bogged down into so much one-on-one. And and he also is a guy who would be an option in that when the Clippers switch, as they often do on the perimeter. But if if Kawhi is less than 100%, it's a complete game changer because the other aspect of that dunk is just how exciting it is to see him with that level of explosion and athleticism because you wondered at times during the last couple of regular seasons whether we were ever going to see him get back to that point. And, you know, it's it's part of what makes him so fun to watch. Uh, Ty Lu's comment I'm seeing from our, our buddy Om Young, Young Mazook was not quite as positive. He said, I think so about whether he's okay. We'll know more after the game. Well, they so. were giving him treatment during the game. I don't know. Like they didn't like wrap it up or anything. Maybe he didn't want it. I don't know, but he didn't look great afterwards. And then they pulled him out of the game. And, and maybe uh, that was just precautionary because you were up double digits and bring him, bring him back if the Jazz cut into that lead and, and make it a more competitive game. But yeah, it's definitely worrisome. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned how you know not having Conley affects the Jazz offense. So. Donovan Mitchell had a good game tonight. It was not a great game. It was a good game. Um, Nick, do you think Mitchell, you know, Mitchell is spending too much time with the ball in his hands? You know, the one thing about this Jazz offense, and the one thing that they did, you mentioned um, the the amazing shooting that they had Belton in Game Two of this series, where they just they had one of their awesome shooting games. They are known for moving the ball, moving the ball. I mean, that's the, you know, the hallmark of their team. And I love Mitchell and I love what he's been able to do. And he's been so hot, but, you know, watching them play, I feel like he's holding the ball and dribbling it an awful lot. Yeah. B, I mean, KP mentioned uh, the, the movement Utah has. And I can tell you watching that first round series against Memphis, that's, just did the Grizzlies in. That ball was popping all over the place. But to your question, yeah, as well as Mitchell has played and and as much respect as he continues to garner, deservedly so, there are times where like, all right, push it around a little bit. And so the the real question to me, 
as we're looking at the end of this series and whatever Utah were to be able to go on and do in the next month and change is do we believe, as you watch Donovan Mitchell, that he has the ability and can take that step right now where he is taking over a game or a couple games at the end of this series and and he can put everybody on his back if Conley can't come back. I believe he does. I believe he does. But do you think he's going to do it right now? I think he can. I mean, I won't. I can't see the future, but I think he can. And I this was my biggest question about Donovan when I evaluated what he, what his ceiling was, which was, you know, is a guy of that size um, who's going to struggle at times to get his own shot because of his size, he's out. He's his he's shorter than a lot of the guys who are guarding him. Can he do it? And Pelton, I, I think that he can. Um, and, um, you know, ideally the Jazz would prefer to get back to their style of play where they're moving the ball and sharing it and they don't need isolation basketball from Donovan Mitchell to bail them out of being behind or bail them out of a close game and they can they can win going away. Um, but, you know, Donovan Mitchell is, is good enough to, to win playoff games on his own. I think he's proven that. Yeah, we've seen that in this postseason. I mean, I think – you know, to Nick's question, is a score the answer is undoubtedly yes. Like mm-hmm. the stretch of 30 plus games. I'm not about not prepared to say that he's the best player in jazz franchise history, but uh <laughs> you know, he's making a strong case for himself as is a scorer individually. But it's the playmaking aspect, and it's so much being asked of him because if he's your number two playmaker and you've got Conley and you've got Joe Ingles in the mix, that's a very different situation from him being the guy with the ball in his hands yeah. as much as Brian talked about. And and one thing they did have more success getting to in that second half was Ingles pick and rolls with Gobert. And that was I think that's a real indica- in, interesting indicator is how involved Gobert is in the offense. Did not have a shot until well into the third quarter of this game. Did go to the free throw line a couple of times. And I feel like the Jazz, when the Jazz are at their best, it's because they're creating opportunities for Gobert at the rim. So Ty Lue, as he did in the last series, um, questionable decision in my mind to go big, but he did go big in game two. Then he comes back and brings Batum back in the starting lineup, and it worked. Um, And, you know, I will say this about Ty is that um, he does have a reputation for starting slow in some of his game planning and then finishing with the flourish. not just in this last series with Dallas, but he did it when he was coaching the Cavs. Um, you know, maybe this is just who he is. Maybe it takes him a game or two to to work into something, and and you know the, the adjustments that he made specifically the lineup have worked. Um, obviously, a big challenge going back for Game Five, uh, depending on Kawhi's health. But um, you know, he touched the buttons and they worked. So I'll give him credit for it. Um, Paul George is also, you know, Paul George was terrific in this game tonight. Just terrific. The type of performance that you need to see from him. When when Kawhi and Paul George are, are combining to put up over 60 points, you know that they're going to you know, have their moments defensively. They're going to get beat defensively too, but they're going to have their moments defensively. They put up, you know, they combined to put up that 60-point number, which they did again tonight. Um, you know, they, this is the stuff that, that everybody thought they were going to be. 
when they when they came together. Um, Has any part of the last two games though be changed how you feel about this no, game at all? No, I don't. I don't. I don't. They could win the title. <laughs> it still wouldn't. It still wouldn't I'm, be enough. <laughs> seriously, I think I might have mentioned this. I've oh, already, no. you know, I've already written on assignment. I was assigned by our boss to write it. I've already written like the story that we'll post if the Clippers get eliminated from the from the playoffs. And I wrote it because we thought for sh- we thought there was a really good chance they were losing the last series. Um, and. They are a very, very confounding team. So I have no idea. Um, I do know that I, I think that this has got seven written all over, right, Pelton? Like this looks like it's coming down to seven. I mean, four consecutive wins by the Clippers would be pretty surprising. But, you know, if they get it to game five, I, the the one question is what when might we see Conley and what kind of Conley are we going to see? And at this point, I'm growing pretty skeptical that he's actually going to be anywhere close to 100% if we do see him in this series. Well, you just, it's so hard. You know, I've talked about this. When you talk, I've unfortunately never had a hamstring injury, but when you talk to players with hamstring injuries, you really, you really can't know for sure how it's going to feel until you get out there and play. And it's one of the reasons why they take so long to heal because you have to get to a place where you feel confident to go out because you can't, you know, you obviously you're going to go through workouts and you're going to go through exercises to try to prove yourself to the trainers. But until you go out there and have to execute under pressure, make, make basketball moves, you're not going to know. And it's the same situation with James Harden, you know, could James Harden play and potentially get through it and not do worse damage? Yeah, but seen plenty of guys come back from hamstring injuries and get re-injured, and that's what happened to Conley, and that's what happened to to Harden, and you know both of them were out for a while, and it's once bitten, twice shy. Um, but the stakes are very high. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Okay, so in the early game tonight, um, Atlanta survives. Uh, Pelton, uh, statistically, Joel Embiid played one of the worst halves of basketball in, in the you know in recent playoff history. 
He went 0 of 12 shooting in the second half of this game. Uh, and I will say this, it, it is hard to go 0 of 12. It is very hard to go 0 of 12 because once you get to 0 of 7 or 8, usually your coach is like, you know what, you're going to stop shooting for a while. Um, but he's in beat and they have to go to him. And they lose a game by three on the road where Joel Embiid goes four of 20. And I'm not sure what to make of that, but considering that he looked like he had very limited lift and his knee was bothering him and he was just in a a surly mood, which indicates frame of mind, I think, um, and that there's only one game off between games, you know, between games two and three, they got an extra day. It's now one day off in this series the rest of the way. Um, you know, Embiid's health is so, so vital for the Sixers in the whole Eastern Conference. And and um, and Pelton, this is this, you know, what we saw tonight was just not going to get it done. Well, to your point about how good you have to be to go of 12, according to ESPN stats and info, the previous record within the last 25 years that we have half by half data was Michael Jordan going of 11 in 1997 in the conference finals. So. I don't remember seeing that in the last dance. <laughs> yeah, that one did not make the cut. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I went and rewatched all his shots in this game. And first off, I think the Hawks do deserve credit, Clint Capella in particular, but they made him play in traffic. These were difficult shots, but they weren't unmakeable but, shots. You know, He's Pelton, sort of... They were doing that in games one and two. Like, right. there, there were times in games one and two where I thought Capella had like great defensive position and then B just beat him. Yeah, I mean, there was more times where he was like playing with strength, and we only saw there was really only one play where he really used his strength and got to the basket to finish. I mean, there was a three in there among his handful of makes in the first half. But, you know, he's made a, a living all season on making these mid-range shots at a high percentage, so it was unusual to see him not knock them down. And then you combine that with the fact that he looked in some combination of, you know, exhausted or in pain during the fourth quarter of this game. And and yeah, it's very concerning, especially with the the quick turnaround that we're going to see, not just between the next two games, but from here on out, any games you play, you know, unless I guess they finish the series ahead of the other series and they do get to the conference finals, that's the only way you're going to get more than one day off the rest of the way until the NBA finals. It's just so vital to them. I mean, they, you know, he played reasonably well in the first half. Okay. He wasn't great. He was Okay. And the Sixers got way ahead. And the second half, they they blew the lead. And Nick, I, I, let, me, let me ask you this. Well, first off, I have two questions. How often does Doc Rivers get his hair cut? Does he think he gets his hair cut like every day? I mean, I just find it amazing. His hair is always that same length. And it's been that same length for like 20 years. Sorry, that was a digression. I, hey, but I, I'm with you. I mean, I saw Doc in the beginning with those Magic teams. I mean, Doc is always on point with. Uh, <laughs> with like, it's with always like on. one. It's always like a day and a half growth. Like it's it's crazy. He knows, um, no, what, seriously, he knows what's happening. Seriously, when Embiid's o of eleven, okay, clearly having lift issues with that knee, clearly having separation issues with that knee. He's missing so many of his shots short. They go to him on the last play, and to to you know they're down one with the ball inside ten seconds. By the way, the play worked. I, I mean, Doc yeah. picked a good play. He gets a free layup, but you know he had no lift and just you know just couldn't finish it. 
do you go to Embiid in that? I mean, obviously Doc did, but like, you know, how do you feel about that decision to go to Embiid in, the, in that situation? That's absolutely the right play because Embiid is the guy that got you there all year. Embiid's the guy who was probably going to be the MVP if he could have stayed healthy a little while longer. I mean, Embiid's one of the best players in the league, and you go to your best players in that moment. So in that regard, I have no issue with what Doc decided. But, guys, as I'm watching the end of that game, I'm having the same thought in my head that I've had around the Sixers for the last few years. And I say this as someone who wholeheartedly believes they're going to win this series if Embiid can can get out there and, and he gets a little treatment and, and he can feel a little bit better. I believe they will win this series. But I've never really believed that the Sixers could win the title as constructed because this was another example. Embiid does not have it going. He's he's hurt. He's He's out of gas, like KP said. Whatever it is, it's not going well. Where are you turning? Ben Simmons looks – I mean, we've got all these Orlando references, like when Shaq was going to the line <laughs> early in his career. I mean, later in his career, he wants no part of uh, those shots. He doesn't want them. One of five tonight. One of five. And, and Tobias Harris is a nice player. But, again, is Tobias Harris the guy who is going to knock down huge shots in the playoffs? Well, he can knock down huge shots, but it's clear that Doc doesn't trust him because, you know. Yeah, exactly. But, B, that's the whole point. That's the problem with the Sixers. He Maybe he can, but if your coach doesn't believe in him. I mean, this when I'm watching this, I'm thinking to myself, truly, why did they not push harder to sign Jimmy Butler? Why, why, why did they not exhaust every possible option? Because I'll tell you who would have been knocking down shots late in those games. And I tell you who Doc Rivers would have trusted completely. Yeah. Jimmy Butler. And you plug Jimmy Butler on this team when you know that Embiid is having these knee issues and and he's having uh, problems physically and you have the perfect uh, – guy who can carry the uh, the weight and pick up well, the slack when your the main thing. guy is not rolling it's hard to put it's hard to put you know you obviously can't put it in Simmons hands to shoot it I mean you know you can initiate the offense with him but you can't call a play for Simmons to shoot it um and I'm not second guessing Doc going to Embiid for the final play I'm just saying when your choice is a guy who's over 11 it tells you a lot about where you are um, Tobias Harris and Seth Curry were both having really good offensive games, and they have a they have a good pick and roll between the two of them. Curry is actually a a pretty good ball handler. Um, he's not his brother, but he's a pretty good ball handler. And you know that had to be on the menu. Um, and they just you know they just he went with Embiid. So um, also in this game. So MB did have 21 rebounds, by the way, which should be noted. You know, he he was he was fighting. He just didn't have all of his faculties. Um, Trey Young did not have a good game, uh, by at least did not have a good shooting game. Uh, and this would be something I'd be worried about if I was Philly. You know, you have a chance to go 
you have a chance to, to go three, one and essentially put the series in a headlock and Trey young, the, their difference making player goes eight of 26, three of 11 on threes. You know, you're figuring you're going to win that game. You know, uh, even on the road, you're figuring, well, if Trey young goes eight of 26, that means that's a lot of misses we can outrun on, um, you know, uh, and Trey young, by the way, was getting treatment during the game on his shoulder. He was putting, I think it was heat packs on his shoulder during the game, his shooting shoulder, his right shoulder. And after the game, um, Nate McMillan basically (laughs) gave a non-answer. So, you know, both sides, you know, you know, I don't know what's going on with that shoulder, but um, Trey Young did have 18 assists in this game and the Hawks were able to show off their depth um, and, and execute it. Uh, Pelton, are you encouraged by this? I mean, you know, the Hawks win a game where they shoot 39%. Um, Does that encourage you that they can scratch out two more here? I think it does. Yeah, I mean, they got better quality shots, again, going back to that second spectrum data than Philadelphia got in this game. And it was really, even though Embiid individually had such dreadful shot making as a team, it was much worse shot making for Atlanta and they were able to overcome it because they had 16 more shot attempts in this game than Philadelphia did. The combination of the fact that, you know, Will Trey Young was handing out those 18 assists. He only had two turnovers. The Hawks had four as a team in this game. That's amazing. And then 12 offensive rebounds. They out-rebounded Philadelphia on the offensive glass, not overall, because they had there were so many more misses at the Atlanta end available than at the Philly end, naturally. Uh, It it was an impressive performance. And I think, you know, any notion that the Hawks are just going to be happy to be here in the second round because of the fact that they're not of the same pedigree as the other three teams that we've been talking about potentially winning the East, like... We got to get rid of that notion entirely. This is a team that believes that they can win this series. And, you know, it's still going to be an uphill battle unless Embiid is really quite limited because home court advantage has come back in this second round of the playoffs. That's one of the storylines. But they got a chance. Can I ask a quick Hawks question that I've been marinating on for a while? Why are they so much better? with Nate McMillan. What what the hell was the problem <laughs> with Lloyd Pierce? I still haven't figured this out. I ha- I haven't I haven't read this story. I haven't gotten an answer that that makes a lot of sense. They are so much better with Nate McMillan. Why? Yeah, I mean, statistically they're not maybe as much different is the the record looks because a lot of it is winning close games and they they just could not close games under Lloyd Pierce and then all of a sudden it become nails in them including tonight under Nate McMillan uh, and then I mean getting Bogdan Bogdanovich back sure. was such a huge factor in this I mean he's he it wasn't a great shooting night and Gallinari was out as usual I mean you know they got healthy and a Kongu who yeah but it can't just be that like did they did they hate Pierce that much what. What would have triggered this well, I don't, team I, I don't, appearing on the verge <laughs> two wins away of the Eastern Conference Finals? I don't yeah. know if they hated him. I don't think he and Trey Young were always on the best. I don't want to get aggregated here. I don't think he and Trey Young were always, you know, mano y mano or whatever, you know, 
That was the wrong. That was, I'm trying. Can you tell how embarrassed I am? I'm trying not to get in trouble here. Simpatico, maybe. I mean, I, I think you're uh, okay on this one. That that one's been well reported. Yeah, uh, you know, and but I, but I mean, did that does that mean that? I mean, Trey Young still played pretty well. Um, I also think that you know, you know, Indiana's getting you know dragged over the coals uh, for firing Nate McMillan, the combination of firing Nate McMillan and hiring, um, you know, Nate Bjorkren. B- 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 um, obviously the, the hire failed, but you know, they had their reasons for firing McMillan. I mean, the guy has, is a total professional coach. He has coached, you know, probably over a thousand games in his career. I mean, he is going to get, he knows how to get a team ready to play. Um, but, um, uh, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's, I don't think it's just as simple as saying that he comes in and all of a sudden they elevate, but, um, they do seem to be a very confident, very together group. And the coach is the guy who sets that tone, you know, Nick. I mean, and, and I think that especially considering the midseason nature of it, um, I think it, uh, it, it's something that you, you can't really account. You can't 100% account for, but you can't disregard dis, uh, dis, it either. Well, you, you just don't see it this often. I, I think for me, I'm watching this and I'm going, what in the hell was going on behind the scenes? Because, B, to what you're saying, it always looks like they're playing for Nate McMillan. It looks like everybody is on that same page. And and I understand what you're saying about Trey Young. I mean, maybe that relationship just didn't work, but – I'm I'm watching this from a distance going, it has to be something more than, ah, well, guys got healthy. There is a belief in internally inside that team when you watch them that no matter where they go and no matter what's in front of them, that they're going to find a way. And that gets set from the coaching staff. That gets set I'll from the I'll tell you what, there's, there's, there's some sort of spirit that's happening. And, I mean, Nate is not a rah-rah guy. Like, that's not who he is. But there's some sort of spirit that's going on there. And also, the Hawks do a great job marketing because, quite frankly, they've had difficulty. Yeah, there fans were people there. in the stands tonight. That was fun to see. And, right. And so, they were cheering for the Hawks. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> right. So I have been to many, oh, yeah, many game playoff game. games in Atlanta. And I have never found it an intimidating place for the opposition. Yeah, um, because to, to KP's point, it's usually half of the other team's fans. I saw it uh, with the Bulls years ago. I mean, that place was overrun with Bulls fans. Yeah, and uh, so the, the, the Hawks have the Hawks in general have a good organization and they have good marketing, but that crowd tonight was just spectacular. And the reason the crowd is into this team is because they love the way they play. They love Trey Young. They love the the spirit that this team has displayed, and I mean, I, Nate helped foster that, for better or worse. I mean, is Nate McMillan a genius because Trey Young uh, took an incredible leap in front of our eyes against the Nets? I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, he he did something to get him going, but it's you know it's it's commendable. Now, when they go back to Philly, you know, the the the, the challenge for them is going to be. You know, can they find a way to you know, continue to keep you know Embiid in check? And I just don't know how much you know, Pelton. You went and looked at. It. I just don't know how much to give them credit and how much to 
to, to, to look at that knee. But obviously, I, Embiid is, is the key to everything. And this is not a huge factor. I, I don't think this is why they lost tonight, but they, they did probably miss Danny Green in terms of they've got a lot of other options on the wing, but you're looking at guys that are more tilted towards offense or defense. They pl- started Maz to try to keep Trey Young from hiding anywhere, and then obviously played Matisse Thibel a lot, but the Hawks did a nice job, I think, uh, of leveraging the fact that Thibel is you know, a weak outside shooter and making him, you know, he's one of five from three-point range. If Thibel shoots five threes in 21 minutes, you've done your job as a defense that's true and they've you know they've gotten inconsistent play from their bench um shake milton was obviously huge in game two but he's been mostly slumping in the postseason um uh, tyrese maxi has had moments where he's been terrific um was not a factor in this game and you know i'm not sure that your secondary guards are going to be uh vital but the, the danny green injury and a calf injury i mean Again, it's another soft tissue injury. Uh, that's <laughs> that's a hard one. That's a hard one for sure. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Nick, you covered the uh, the nuggets in the postseason for us. Um, uh, so you w- were a, a part of, uh, you know, watching what happened with, uh, with the Suns. Talk about... Um, an incredible environment. Uh, I was watching some of the videos from the, from the Suns players and stuff and the fans when they came back from the team plane uh, and landed after getting to the conference finals for the first time in 11 years. Um, Chris Paul with just a masterpiece playoff series, 41 assists and three turnovers. Um, so let me ask you this. Uh, the Suns have won um, seven playoff games in a row. That is damn impressive no matter who you are. Um, They have played brilliant, almost mistake-free basketball in that run. I have watched Devin Booker have two killer closeout games on the road. Granted, um, winning in Denver up 3-0 is a little different than uh you know than, than they're one in LA. Um obviously they're playing great basketball. Monty Williams has got them motivated, got them focused and everything like that. But how much is their success a product of playing the Lakers that are knocked down by injury and then playing the Nuggets who were held back and certainly um you know you know kept back by injury. Here's how I would answer that. If 
as, as for as much hype as Phoenix is getting, deservedly so. If Mike Conley's healthy, I'm still taking Utah. I'm still taking Utah in that series because what about them playing the Clippers? Well, that that that's going to be a problem if the Clippers win. That, that Utah pick is not going to look so hot, but <laughs> wouldn't be the first time that uh, I <laughs> I picked Utah and uh, and they they let me down in a major way. Uh, but uh, Phoenix Phoenix has been awesome, and the confidence that they've built is only going to grow every time they step out there right now. Uh, but for me, uh, you mentioned the videos, B, that, that we saw of the, the Suns. I thought you were going straight to the Suns and Four guy. Oh. <laughs> I must have watched that video oh. uh, 20 times. I sent that video to, like, everybody <laughs> I know, the the, the casual uh, fans that aren't into the playoffs just yet. They're like, who the hell is this? Well, well, the thing is, we don't have enough information about what happened there because so. Well, well, well the the dude in the Jamal Murray does in the <laughs> Jamal Murray jersey does. <laughs> right. So, I mean, if you don't know what we're talking about, I got to feel like who doesn't most- know what we're talking about? I mean, Everybody knows what we're talking. I got a feeling that most the four guy dominated everything. <laughs> Devin Booker's tweeting out, "I need this dude's name." <laughs> Yeah, Did he get a follow-up? Did he get the guy's name? Uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I sound like a ninny, which I'm guilty of often when I'm saying I'm not sure sure that we that behavior should be rewarded. Although he obviously did not throw the first punch. But that's what I'm saying. We don't know what led to. But one of my favorite parts of it is that clearly the Nuggets guy, when the video starts, at least the, the part of the clip that we've seen, the Nuggets guy is obviously making a decision about whether to go. And you see he makes a decision to go. And it's obviously a terrible decision because he does get a lick in or two, but he gets pummeled. And then, you know, the guy says, sons and four. I mean, uh, I mean, sons and four. I mean, if it wasn't borderline arrogant, it should pretty much be their battle cry. <laughs> I, I, I was texting my I was texting one of my one of my close friends in, on the Suns PR staff and and I said if that doesn't lead every in-house video uh, the rest of the way but you can't show you know right now the they're, they're begging fans to have a code of conduct they're like doubling the amount of messages they're showing to the fans to to um, get them to you know behave and not storm the court or throw things at players you can't show a fan misbehaving pounding on another guy uh i mean i again i don't mean to sound like a ninny but i i what am i supposed to say here just, I'm just put trying a to picture be up then on the screen where he's the picture that that booker tweeted where he's got the four fingers up in the air <laughs> and put that on the screen and everybody will go okay. crazy that's true that's true. And the, the the crowd in Phoenix, the first two games of this series, was pretty wild. Um, uh, <laughs> he, he did kick the guy's butt and then just say something for it. You know, he was right. He it's, was a, right. it's a stronger slogan than Bucks and Six. <laughs> well, the Bucks and Six thing. So so after the, the Bucks win game four to even the series, or, or as the game's coming down the stretch, the crowd in Milwaukee is chanting Bucks and Six, Bucks and Six, which, yes, is referring to the fact that they believe they will continue to win and you know make it a four-game uh, comeback. 
But Bucks and Six dates to the Brandon Jennings line. What year was that, um, Pelton? Do you remember? Well, it was against the Heat. So it, was that 14? Was it the last year in Miami? No, I don't think so. I think it was one of the years they won the title. So it was either 12 or 13. Um, Brandon Jennings, who, you know, look, was known to be boisterous, be a little aggressive, um, said that, you know, he predicted that the Bucks would Bucks and six. He goes, he goes, the Heat are a great team, but what do you want me to say? Bucks and six. And um, he gave them the two games. Yes, it was 13 yeah. where they went, they went 38 and 44 that season. Miami nearly won that many games straight in 13. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, that was the best Heat team. Um, and um, yeah, Bucks and six. So that was kind of an ode, but um, I don't know if Suns and four is going to be in play the rest of this postseason. But Pelton, um, when you watch the Suns, and, and you know, I could go on and on. Mikhail Bridges' defense, DeAndre Ayton's defense, and uh, you know, the Suns just in general are playing spectacular defense. Um, uh, Cameron Payne's uh, play uh, coming off the bench. I mean, there's a lot going for him right now. Um, but I have to point out that they have won eight games. They need to win 16. And I don't begrudge them and their fans for celebrating. I think that's what you should do. But, you know, to quote Mr. Kobe Bryant, the, the job's not finished. So I just I just want to kind of keep it in perspective. Yeah, I mean, the other thing they have going for them is they are healthy. Like, obviously, Chris Paul had the shoulder contusion. But if, if he wasn't 100% against the Denver Nuggets, I, I would hate to see what he would have done to the Nuggets pick-and-roll defense if he were 100% in that series because he played about as well as a, I think you can at point guard, you know, playing the style that he and does. they just hunted Michael Porter Jr. They hunted him yeah. before... He had the back issue, and then after he tweaked his back and he couldn't move very well, whoever he was on, Chris Paul, put him in, put him into the blender and just took him down. Um, they just flat out abused Michael Porter, and even before the back injury, he wasn't getting the shots done to even up for it. And then after he hurt his back, I mean, yeah. what are you supposed to say? He was getting it out. Yeah, I mean, by that point, the Nuggets kind of, you know, were, were just at such a talent disadvantage at that point, even with Will Barton coming back, that I, I don't know that there was a ton to learn from that series. I, I do, I think I disagree with Nick on the relative, you know, merits of those two matchups for the Suns. They swept the season series against the Jazz. There was one of those games that Mitchell and Conley were both out, so that was kind of meaningless. But I think they, play, they were relatively healthy the other two games. And Gobert, you know, obviously he is dramatically different defensively than Nikola Jokic, but you're going to still have some of that ability to get to the mid-range with Chris Paul and Devin Booker against the Jazz's pick-and-roll defense that you did uh, against I, I Denver. I get you guys talking about the Jazz getting through. I mean, I... I, I, I well, no, I was going but that's what I'm going to say is I think if they play the Clippers, it's a much worse matchup because the Clippers can switch everything like they have been. And then it becomes incumbent on, I guess, DeAndre Ayton to take advantage of his, you know, size against a small Clippers lineup if they go that way, which would be really fascinating. But I don't think it's as good, is as good a matchup for them as Utah might be. You know, I want to say a, a, a word about what happened to Nikola Jokic. Um, it was obviously a controversial play. I almost feel like it was a, a flagrant 1.5 because it was more than a flagrant one because he hunted him down. Um, and obviously he didn't 
totally catch him in the face, but his intent was not good. And um, I just, you know, ideally you do not, you know, you do not want to see a guy get kicked out like that, but I understand why the officials did it. And Jokic was very frustrated at not getting a call, um, which, you know, yeah, it was a, a rough game for him. He was getting roughed up. I understand he's, he's frustrated, but he has got to learn to control his emotions, Nick. He loses it at times. And, you know, uh, you know, okay, you know whether he gets kicked out or not in that game, the Nuggets are not winning the series. But going forward, he's got to make that a learning experience. No doubt, and he's got to remember not to be able to to cross that line. And and B, I'm with you. I understand why the officials did what they did, but I I grew up and fell in love with the game in the late '80s and early '90s. And I'm sitting there listening. I, I, I was it Reggie Miller, who, uh, who, whoever was on the game. They're saying, "Well, <laughs> the days of of a hard foul are gone." And you know, if you're in that kind of spot in that kind of moment, it, it doesn't have to be that way. The the league. I, yeah. I think over the summer he needs hunted to go him back. down. I agree that he didn't foul him hard enough to like merit probably merit an ejection, but he hunted him down. Okay, flagrant one. I mean, I, that and the flagrant one and a half. I I see it, but this is I, I think it, I for me it's a broader conversation on the way the games have changed, and it's like I the league that, wants Nick, it. But- it it, they, but they want fighting out so bad that this is the kind of stuff that happens. No, but you know what? I'm not even going to argue that. I still think at the end of the day, it's a lesson for Jokic. It, and it has to be. And so in that regard, if you're Jokic, you've got to go back and say, okay, what can I do better to improve my game? I just won an MVP. The organization is counting on me to be the face, especially as, as Murray rehabs. But it is. This is, again, this is my fear with Denver. I just don't know with what they have. In a lot of ways, guys, it reminds me of Philly. I don't know with what they have if they're going to be able to break through all the way. And you could say, okay, well, if Murray's there, it's a different series. I agree. But I just don't know if if they are enough uh, with with those two guys, they still need that other person, just like Philly still needs somebody uh, to help Embiid when he's not feeling great. Because uh, for as good as S- uh, Simmons and Harris are, I just don't know, especially with Harris, if he's that guy. So, uh, is it well, a? I, I think they thought that they got that guy when they traded for Aaron Gordon, and I well, know that what after- the hell were they thinking? Well, he looked a lot different when he was playing with Jamal Murray yeah. because he was in such a smaller role offensively. I mean, I now the question is, are they ever going to be good enough defensively with Nikola Jokic as your starting center at that highest level of competition? And I think that's a fair one because it's not like Jamal Murray's absence is the reason that Phoenix torched them offensively. But right. the Suns also were really hot from the perimeter throughout this. There's a reason, you know, Chris Paul is amazing as he is in the mid-range. He's never had a series where he shot 63% from the field before. Yeah, no, they, they're playing. <laughs> so, um, I would just say that, you know, Michael Malone said 
that in 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 early to mid April when they got got humming, he thought that this was a championship team. And you know what? I'm not saying I would favor them or pick them or whatever, but I could see it. There is, you know, there was a way that I could see them doing it. And so obviously it's a disappointing end for them. And unfortunately yet another injury and a team ending an injury with um, a guy on crutches or if not crutches, whatever it was. Um, all right, guys. Um, obviously Nets, uh, Bucks is uh, very intriguing and a lot going on there, but we're going to have to put it aside for now because it's uh, getting on 2 a.m. and um, Jackson's got to put this together, our producer. Uh, but obviously – Come back to us uh, later this week because um, uh, how that game plays out, uh, Game Five in uh, in Brooklyn, is going to be uh, very very interesting. But um, thank you to Nick, thank you to Colton, thank you guys for listening, and uh, have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.